Pastor Chris asked me to share with you how I found Jesus on the streets of Baghdad. Uh, before I start, I see a lot of children here. So I like you to be engaged. If you are 15 years or younger, I'm going to ask you three questions. And if you get the right answer, only today, and only upon the approval of your mom and dad, you could eat two pieces of dessert. If you are more than 15, you can't do that. So don't come to me. The first question is why it is so difficult to be a Christian in the Middle East. Why it is so difficult to be a Christian in the Middle East. The second question is what did my cousin ask me when we went for a walk. We went to a park. He asked me a question and that changed his life. And what happened to my mom? All right, I'm going to show you some slides of the Middle East. Uh, this is the map of Iraq. You see in the north is Mosul. That is the modern city where Nineveh is or was. Nineveh is on the east side of the Tigris River. And Mosul was on the west side. But Mosul is big enough today that it covers both sides. You see Baghdad? goes 60 miles to the west and that's where Babylon is. You see Nasiriya? And the south side of Iraq, that's where Abraham came from. That's Ur of the Chaldean. And outside of the city, there is a huge Zakorat from the Sumerian time. Next slide. This is the political map of Iraq. And I don't know if you could see it very well, but it says Nenoa. That's the Arabic way of pronouncing Nineveh. The name Nineveh is still lives on because the name of the state is, is Nineveh and the name of the district where the old city and the new city are together, they call it the district of Nineveh. Next slide. In the southern part of Iraq is where they invented writing. And this is one of the first recorded writing in history. Next. This is a map of the whole area to give you some kind of context. Next. This is the entrance to the city of Babylon. They have the lion. That's their symbol. Next. This is the gate of Ashtar. Uh, the original one, this one actually is the original, is in the museum in Berlin. The one they have in Iraq is a fake one. The German archaeologists took it in the 40s uh, to Berlin, and that's where it is now. Next slide. This is a closer look at the gate of Eshtar. Eshtar is a Babylonian goddess that they worship. Next. These are the walls of the city of, 
of Nineveh, they are 2,650 years old. They are still standing up to now. Part of the reason why a lot of artifacts and cities from ancient time are still preserved, they don't get as much rain as we get over here. So it's kind of a dry climate. Next slide. More of the city of Nineveh, more. Uh, another shot of the walls of Nineveh. Gates, six gates leading into the city. Next. Uh, you could see it closer. Uh, there is a little bit of decay. Next. Uh, museums. Uh, I, I believe there are uh, several museums. Next. This is the wall on the south side. Next. This is Nineveh. Supposedly the way it looked like at the time of Jonah. It's an artist's imagination. Next. This is one of their kings. This one is called Ashur Panipal. Uh, he actually was the first one to invent the library. He was a lover of poetry, so he collected tablets from the whole ancient world, and that was the first library. He also was behind uh, the canal system. Next. All of this was destroyed by ISIS four years ago. All of the museums, the artifacts, all of the churches. Historically, all of the Christian in Iraq came from the state of Nineveh. Today, there's hardly any Christian there. Next. Uh, Jonah came from Joppa. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. Next. As you could see, to Nineveh was 550 miles, 1,000 kilometers. He ended up going 2,500 miles to Tarshish. And God found him and sent him back to Nineveh. Next. This is the grave of Jonah. And every year in Iraq, during the month of March, all of the people fast and pray in honor of Jonah. Next slide. Uh, this was an Orthodox church, and then it became a museum. Uh, actually, first was an Orthodox church, and then became a mosque, and then a museum. Next slide. No more. Destroyed by ISIS. They bombed the whole thing and destroyed it. Next slide. This is the letter N in Arabic. When ISIS moved into the city of Mosul and the surrounding area, there were approximately 35,000 Christians. They put the letter N on their homes. N stands for Nazarene, and that's how the Muslim called the Christian Nazarene. They gave them two options. You either leave the city or convert to Islam. Only nine people converted to Islam, which shows you we need to be faithful to God. Next. This is an Orthodox church. Today in Iraq, there is 40 million people. That's as many as live in California. But about 500,000 Christians live in the country. 60% Catholic, 40% Orthodox. 
Next slide. This is the only Seventh-day Adventist church in the whole country. Next slide. The church was bombed eight times. So now they have the deacons protecting it. And you thought being a deacon was a hard job. <laughs> Imagine being a deacon in Iraq. I'm re really not kidding you. The people from the outside are soldiers from the government that are stationed to protect the church. But the people from the inside are the deacons who patrol the church and report to the authority. The story I'm going to share with you started to unfold approximately 40 years ago. It didn't happen in Nineveh. It happened in Baghdad. My father was uh, a businessman. He had uh, grocery stores and commodities and stuff like that. So he decided to expand his businesses. So he moved to Baghdad. And one day, my cousin and I, a lot of our extended family moved with us to Baghdad. They all worked together. And my cousin and I took a walk to explore this new city to us. And by divine appointment, we ended up at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we went in. And the result, I was beaten almost to death. I was abandoned by my family. I lost a scholarship that covered four years of schooling and two years of schooling I failed. All of this happened about 40 years ago. But about 30 years ago, I discovered I am alive today because of that experience. And I started to see wonderful blessings I never expected. The theme is, if we are faithful to God, he will make all things to work for good for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you will speak through me. I prayed about it. I ask you to really take the words that I say and put power and effectiveness and a grace and influence in them. Lord, I want to thank you for all of my friends here. What a privilege for me to be here. And now I pray that you will move in our hearts to bring us closer to the throne of grace. Lord, I pray that as we listen to this story, we will remember how you have led in our lives and that we will stand in amazement and awe of the great God that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, I was really into soccer. How many of you are into soccer? Let me see your hands. Only the young people are. No, no one of the people of the middle age or young people, just a couple kids. Well, and my idol in life was Pelé. How many of you remember that name? 
lot of people. It shows how old you are. That's an old, a name from the 70s. Well, I really was into soccer. And I wanted to be a professional soccer player. So on a Friday afternoon, I invited my cousin to come over to my house so we could practice soccer. My cousin was a weird individual. He was the only person in the whole country that did not appreciate soccer. So we played for 20 minutes and uh, he said, I'm done, I don't like this. I felt an obligation toward him because I brought him to my house. I said, what do you want to do? He said, well, we are new to the city of Baghdad. Let's go for a walk and explore the city. And we start walking. And by divine providence, we came to the Adventist church. In Iraq, they cannot do any form of evangelism. No public evangelism, no personal evangelism, but the pastor of that church was creative. So he had an ad smaller than my Bible, posted on the gate of the church, inviting people to go in and watch a movie about the life of Christ. My cousin saw the ad and he looked at me and he said, we don't have anything to do. Let's go in and watch the movie. Maybe we will learn something in you. So we went in and we sat on this side of the church. And for the first time in my life, I saw Jesus on the screen. I saw his miracles. I saw his love. I uh, was amazed. I was thrilled. My heart started leaping inside of me. Uh, I really felt Jesus' love coming straight from the screen to my heart. And then I saw his resurrection and I saw the power. They put him to death. They buried him in the grave, but he came out. I was so thrilled and so excited that at the end of the movie, I went to the pastor and I asked him if I could learn more about Jesus. Later on, I learned that this pastor was at that church in Baghdad for 28 years. But I was the first Bible study he ever have had from outside of the church. Imagine 28 years of discouragement. I made his career for him. He will never forget me. And we started to study the Bible, and I loved every minute of it. I didn't know much about anything, really. So he taught me about uh, the books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, about the major characters, and, of course, always about the life of Christ. And we did this for five months. Every Tuesday, about 4 o'clock, I would take the bus and go to the Adventist church to learn more about Jesus. But on one Tuesday, we did not have a Bible study. He looked at me. He said, you have been coming here 
for several months now, it's time for you to make a decision for Jesus. Well, that was very hard for me because I grew up in a culture where if you change your faith, they persecute you, they ostracize you, they shun you, they might even kill you. I didn't want any of that stuff to happen to me, so I quit the Bible study. But praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit never gave up on me. I felt the nudging of the Holy Spirit every day. And finally, I had to surrender. So I went back again for another Bible study. Well, this time we had a Bible study on the Ten Commandments. I didn't have any problem with the Ten Commandments except for one. And that is the seventh one. I mean, the fourth one, the seventh day, the Sabbath day. It's interesting that in Arabic, the language I grew up speaking, we don't have names for the days of the week. Like in English, you have first days called Sunday. In Arabic, we call the first day the first day, the second day the second day. The only one that has a name is the seventh one. And we called it the Sabbath. And everybody knows it's a day of rest. Plus, the pastor said, God kept it as part of the Ten Commandments. Jesus kept it. The disciples kept it. We're going to keep it in heaven. Why don't we keep it now? That made perfect sense to me. But my problem was that the day off in Iraq is Friday. And everybody is forced to work on the Sabbath, forced to go to school on the Sabbath. So I, I started to think to myself, what am I going to do? I will never have any future. I will never be able to finish my schooling, never be able to find a job. So I said to myself, I need a second opinion. So I went and visited with a Greek Orthodox pastor. After I explained to him my dilemma, he lifted up the Bible like this, and he said, if you go by the Bible, you need to keep the seven-day Sabbath holy. I wanted to strangle this man. That's not what I wanted to hear from him. Incidentally, up to today, some pockets of the Orthodox Church either keep the Sabbath or at least believing in it. Up to about 150 years ago, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church kept uh, keeping the Sabbath up to about 150 years old. Two or three weeks later, I went and visited with a Catholic priest. He said, we changed the day. Well, I wanted a biblical answer. So a few weeks later, I went and visited with a Presbyterian pastor. He said, I have been struggling with this myself. Here's what happened. The Adventist pastor befriended the Presbyterian pastor. And for Christmas... He gave him a gift, and the gift was a book called The Great Controversy, which talks about how the change happened through history. So when I met with the Presbyterian pastor, he, he said, after really studying this issue in the Bible, I have come to the conclusion that we need to keep the seven-day Sabbath holy. I personally witnessed the baptism of this Presbyterian pastor in the Adventist church. He received some persecution and he was kicked out of his church. 
and then he went to Sweden. But then I said to myself, what difference does it make? Just pick a day and worship God on it. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that we are in the mess we are in today. Because two people said, what difference does it make if you eat out of this tree or that tree? They all are trees. It's not about the tree. It's not even about the day. It's about our love and allegiance and loyalty to Jesus. Well, at that time, I graduated from high school. And in Iraq, they have a system where if you graduate from high school, you are eligible to take another exam. And based on how you score at this exam, they determine your future. If you score 90 and above, you could go to any college of your choice for free. They will pay for it. But, if you, but there was a catch. If you score 70 or below, you go to the army. Well, nobody wants to go to the army in a country like that. I decided I will take my chances. And I went and took the exam and I scored high enough to go to the School of Engineering for free for four years. I wanted to be an engineer from the day I was born. Not because I have any passion for engineering. They just make more money than anybody else in that country. And I wanted to make more money than anybody else. But it was not a good thing for me because for a whole year, I didn't feel any need for God. I go to church, I read the Bible, and I only prayed when I have exams. Well, fast forward with me to the end of the school year. At the university in Baghdad, there was a tradition. All of the exams come on one day. Guess which day it was? The Sabbath day. You start at 9 in the morning and you go to 6 in the evening and you are done in one day. Well, something very unusual happened the Sunday before that. My mother was a casual Christian. But one thing was very clear about my mother. She was very consistent about her church attendance. My mother went to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. But that Sunday, before the final exam, there was a big celebration at her Orthodox church. And she wanted to go. And really, mainly to see her friends. Well, as you know, when you are not in the habit of going to church on a regular basis, it's really difficult to do that. So she came to me and asked me to go to church with her. I came up with a bunch of excuses, but then I failed. And I don't know whether it was to please her or get her off my back. I said, fine. We went to church. The place was full. Maybe there was at least 2,000 people. We sat in the back. And the pastor came to preach. And he said, my heart is troubled. He said, something happened to me last night that never have happened to me before. He said, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night 
and gave me a new message to give to you. And the new message is on martyrdom, which is dying for Jesus. He said, I don't know why, but I just have to do what God told me to do. For somebody like me who have not been to church for a whole year, that is the last topic I wanted to hear anything about. I mean, you want to go to church to feel good, to hear about faith or hope, not about death. But that sermon, that day, changed my life. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me. To Matthew chapter 19. This is really a question that Peter asked of Jesus. It's a question that all of us ask at one time or another in our lives. Notice Matthew 19, 27 to 29. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What are going to be the consequences, the rewards, the result? Then Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And look at 29. That's the main text. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, Sometimes when you follow Jesus, you have to leave everything behind you. You also have to leave a wife, husband, children, land, bank account for my name's sake. Then you shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And this is how the sermon went. He said, Jesus left heaven. Because he loved us. Because he valued our lives by the value of his life. He went all the way to the cross and died for us. Shouldn't we out of love for him do the same? He said the disciples have to leave their homes. Their moms, their dads to follow Jesus. They are our example. We need to do the same. And I'm sitting in church with 2,000 people. But I felt God's presence in such a way I have never felt it before. I felt he was everywhere around me, inside of me. I felt like heaven was opened up. And I saw Jesus sitting on the throne, loving me. And I started to cry. And at that moment... I decided that I will follow Jesus no matter what. The song today was about fear. I was filled with fear. When the worship service was over, I looked at my mom and I said, you stay and visit with your friends and I will see you home later on. And I left the Orthodox Church and start roaming on the streets of Baghdad, thinking about following Jesus. But also, I was filled with fear 
of what will happen to me if I follow Jesus. I might die. And I don't want that to happen to me. A few hours later, I ended up being at the home of the Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I told him about the sermon I heard in the Orthodox Church. And I told him about the impact it made on my life. I told him that I decided to follow Jesus, but I am filled with fear. He said, let me tell you a story. And he told me a story that happened 60 miles from my home in Baghdad. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you know the story? Let me see your hands. King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king of that time, built a statue. And he said to his subject, when you hear the music, you bow down and worship me. And everybody did except for three people. They stood up. Everybody knew that those three people didn't do it. So the king said, bring them in. He said, look, I'm a nice guy. I'll give you another chance. You hear the music, you bow down, worship me. And they said to him, O king, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will still worship him. And now listen to the insight the pastor shared with me. He said, those three friends prayed that God will deliver them from the fire. But God in his wisdom decided to deliver them in the fire. He said, think about it because God delivered them in the fire. They had the greatest worship experience of their lives. Right there in the fire, Jesus showed up and they walked with him. Imagine the scene in front of all of those thousands of people. He said, because God saved them and delivered them in the fire, they experienced the power of God. The Bible says that nothing happened to them in the fire. The people who threw them into the fire got evaporated from the intensity of the heat, but nothing happened to them. In fact, not even the smell of smoke was on them. That's God in his ultimate power. And because God delivered them in the fire, they became an inspiration to all of us. He said, the pastor said to me, he said, don't focus on your fears. Focus on the greatness of our God. He said, the same God who delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will deliver you too. He said, God spoke to your heart today. You need to respond. And I said, I want to. He said, well, it's time to give your heart to Jesus. Pray after me and do it. And I did. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. As I was leaving, he said, I'm going to get the whole church to pray for you. That God will deliver you from the fire but be prepared to go into the fire. And we agreed on the baptism to be 
the following Sabbath. Following Sabbath came. Baptism, 11.30. Exams will start at 9. I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning and I heard the voice saying, look, you have broken thousands of Sabbaths before. One more is not going to make much difference. But then I heard the voice of God saying, it's not about the Sabbath, it's about me. How much you love me, how much you trust in me. And then I heard the other voice saying, you don't want to lose a whole year just because of you hours. But then I heard the voice of God saying, it's not about a year, it's about eternity. What we deal with has eternal values and consequences. And then the other voice say, just go do it. God will understand. But then I heard the voice of God saying, just trust in me. I will carry you through. I kept struggling with these two voices all the way from 5 in the morning to about 11. Finally, God gave me the victory and I got out of bed and ran to the church. The worship service was over. But most of the people were out in the foyer. So they brought them in and we had the baptism. I lost that year, but I gained Jesus. And that is really what's important. I lost the second year for the same reason. And I was kicked out of the university. When my dad saw that I lost two years and I lost the scholarship, he brought a hundred people from my family into our living room in Baghdad. Big room. And I was right here in the middle, surrounded by all of those people who would never have come if I was criminal or on drugs. But they all came to talk me out of being faithful to Jesus. When my dad saw that I was not going to change my mind, he took off his shoes and threw them on me which in the Middle East represent an inflicting shame on that individual. If you remember when President Bush went to the Middle East, they did the same thing to him. So one of my brothers and one of my cousins came and lifted me up by my shoulders and the rest started beating on me. Uh, they kept beating on me till I started bleeding. I became unconscious. And they finally, when they thought I was dead, they threw me out on the street. I was like a cancer and they needed to cleanse the family from this cancer. But the Lord really saved my life. He had a purpose for me. A few hours later, I came back to consciousness. I looked at, into the skies and I, I said, Lord, since I decided to follow you, I lost everything my family, my scholarship, my schooling. He said, maybe, but now you got me. And if we have Jesus, that's all what we need. I said, Lord, I feel like the whole world is against me. He said, maybe, but I am for you. And Paul said, if Jesus is for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. In the church in Baghdad at that time, there were about 200 people. But in that mix, there was a young couple in their mid-twenties, newlywed, who took an interest in me. Every time I went to church, they would come and talk to me. They will uh, 
minister to me, take me over to their home for lunch. They were wonderful people, so I decided to go to their home. And they took me in, and I stayed with them for several months. And they ministered to me emotionally, physically, spiritually. Every night we would read the Bible. And then we would read promises from the Bible. There was one promise we read every night. We kept repeating this for several months, every day. Romans 8, 28. I'm sure all of you know this promise. And we know. Actually, the Greek is stronger. We are convinced beyond any shadow of doubt that all things work together for good to those who love God. Isn't that wonderful? All things will work for good for you. Remember that when bad things happen to you. Well, this family said to me, there is no future for you in Iraq. Go to Middle East College in Beirut, Lebanon. It's a small Adventist college, but it was not accredited, so I couldn't go, and it was another disappointment. And then the war between the Arab countries and Israel started, and Iraq being part of the Arab countries started to draft people to go into the army. And one day I got a letter from the army saying, I need to report for duty in six weeks. It was a horrible day. It was like the death sentence. My daddy knew at that time that I was alive and living with this family. So he also wrote me a letter saying, if you renounce your faith, I will accept you back home and find a way for you to leave the country and go to Europe to study and avoid the army. I was very tempted to take my dad up on his offer. But praise the Lord for the community of faith. The church prayed for me and encouraged me to stand faithful to God. That's why we need the church. 65 times Paul tells us to love one another to encourage one another. That's what the church is all about. It's not only meeting a few hours every week, but it's a family that minister to each other. I would never have been able to stand here in front of you today if it wasn't for the love, the prayers, and encouragement of my church in Baghdad. My neighbor got a letter similar to the one I got. He was my best friend, but he was a little bit older than me. So he went to the army right away. And in less than one week, the news came back he was killed. So they had a memorial service for him. And my mom went to that service. And she was emotionally moved. She came back. She said to my dad, I don't care whatever my son is. I just want to see him. It took some convincing. Finally, my dad accepted me back home. First night, I was home. I was asleep in my bedroom upstairs. When about 10.30, the brother and the cousin who lifted me up by my shoulders came to me and woke me up. And said, it's time to go for a walk. 
I protested. They yanked me out of bed. And they forced me to go with them. They held on to my arms so I would not run away. We got to a park. By the time we got to the park, it was midnight. No people. No light. Just pitch dark. We got to the middle and we stopped. And uh, I said, this is the end. So I started to pray and submit my life to Jesus. Five minutes, nothing happened. Ten minutes, nothing happened. Finally, my cousin broke the silence. He said, look, you are either crazy to go through what you went through or you have something we would like to have. That gave me the opportunity to share Jesus with both my brother and my cousin. We were there till 6 in the morning. At 6 in the morning, my brother gave his heart to Jesus. My brother was the ultimate secular who worshipped money, but today he worshipped Jesus. He was so excited about finding Jesus, he went home. And led my other brother and his family to Jesus. And my cousin. Later on became the pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church where I was baptized. We really do have a wonderful God. Who makes all things to work for good for those who love him. They live in a terrible situation. Pray for them if you remember it, especially if you see it on the news. I have been praying for my two brothers to come here. And about three years ago, I met my brother in the airport in Kalamazoo, Michigan, after not seeing him for 37 years. I'm praying for my other brother right now. I still have to tell you how I am alive today. But listen to this short story. The family I was staying with said, you still have to study to avoid the army. And they said, for 40 years, the church in Iraq have been trying to get Middle East College to be accredited, and they failed. They tried bribery, connection, influence, everything failed. So somebody said, why don't we try prayer? So about 50 people went into the basement of the Adventist church. And they were there from a Friday afternoon till Sunday afternoon, influenced by the story of Jonah. They prayed, they fasted. They worshiped God. They pleaded with him. I cannot explain this to you. Nobody can. On a Tuesday of that week, they got the letter from the government that Middle East College was accredited. Forty years of a human effort failed, but when they prayed, God did it. My advice to you, don't even wait for 40 seconds. Take whatever you got to the Lord. God will take care of you. 
So I went to Middle East College, but shortly after I arrived, the civil war started. I have nothing to do with it. It just coincided with my arrival. And uh, somebody came to me and said, you still want to be an engineer? I said, yes. Well, he said, go to Walla Walla College. How many of you have been to that area? Uh, several of you. It's not too far, just a few hours from here. Uh, my first reaction was, who is in his right mind will go to Walla Walla? Because in Arabic, it sounds like the place of the double curse. They said, no, no, it's just a native name, means the land of many waters. My church prayed for me for 13 months. Many members fasted on my behalf. And finally, I came here. I took engineering and I worked as an engineer for three months, but I felt for me, it was a different calling. So I became a pastor. I went back again to Walla Walla, uh, took theology, pastored for 21 years in this beautiful part of the world in Washington State. And then I went to the seminary to teach. 14 years ago, the war between the United States and Iraq started, the last one. And about 12 years ago or so, I have a female cousin who came to this country to do advanced medical training, but she never went back again to Iraq. But 12 or so years ago, she decided to go to see how our family are doing. When she came back, I went to see her. She said, sit down, you will never believe what I'm going to tell you. She said, your mom is praising the Lord for your faithfulness every day. I said, my mom kicked me out of home. She said, your mom is praising the Lord for the Sabbath. I said, you're not making any sense. She said, your mom now goes to the Adventist church. She's studying with your cousin. She wants to be an Adventist. I said, why? She said, shortly after you left, the war between Iraq and Iran started. And about a million people died in that war. And then three wars with the United States and another million died. But she said, you are alive. I did not know for 30 years I am alive today because I decided to follow Jesus. Shortly after my cousin came here, my mom was baptized. And three months later, she died. She was diabetic. There were no medication. And she died. But she died in the Lord. I wish I was there to witness her baptism. But I'm looking forward to seeing her in heaven. We do have a wonderful God who makes all things to work for good for those who love him. I just would like to take a couple minutes to share with you a few lessons from this story. Always be faithful to God, no matter what. And when the compass of your heart move, let it move to Jesus. There will be challenges, problems, struggle. But he that is in us is infinitely greater than he that is in the world. He will sustain you. He will keep you. He will empower you. And rather than focusing on your problems, focus on the greatness of our God. Did you know that in the Bible, there are seven stories to tell us that God could do the impossible. 
the first story, God came to a woman who was 91 years old. Her husband was 100. She was barren all her life. He said, I'm going to give you a child. You know what she did? She laughed because she thought it was a joke. I mean, after all, she was a candidate for the nursing home, not the maternity ward. But God gave her the child anyway. That's the kind of God we worship. One day he came to a little boy. He said, do you see that giant? If you trust in me, you could defeat him. And he did. And today he comes to you and to me and says, if you trust in me, you could move mountains. Whatever mountain you are struggling with in your life, God is bigger than that. And then a pray like your life depends on it. I saw the power of prayer. My church prayed for me for 13 months. And I got the visa from the United States. And Saddam Hussein, an evil dictator, signed my passport so I could leave that country to come over here. That's God. They prayed for the church for three days and God did it. They tried to do it by other means for 40 years and they failed. Pray like your life depends on it. And then be patient with God. I'm telling you a story that is more than 40 years in the making. But we all are conditioned by the McDonald's syndrome. We want things instantaneously. And with God, maybe it takes 10, 20, 40 years. Here is the most exciting thing I'm going to share with you. One day soon, there will be a table going from here to eternity. You will be there. I will be there. And Jesus himself will tell you how he made all things to work for good for you. I hardly could wait for that. And then be attentive to hear the voice of God. I heard the voice of God through the voice of the Orthodox pastor. And my life changed when I said yes. I know God is speaking to you today. And I urge you to say yes by surrendering your life to, to him today. You know, some of you probably have been a very committed Christian. Today I urge you to make a new commitment. Maybe some of you over the time over these crises or personal, maybe you have drifted away. I really urge you to make a new commitment to Jesus. And maybe some, whether here or online, never made a commitment to Jesus. I want to tell you, it's the best thing that will ever happen to you. It's the best thing I ever did. Give your life, your heart to Jesus. We're going to sing the song, I Surrender All. And as Jesus is speaking to your heart, I'd like you to stand up as we sing. And only when the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, it's stand up. And let's really sing it and mean it that I want to give everything to Jesus.